I want to welcome you today. It's a rather um, special day. I want to begin by saying in a country where uh, the divorce rate is growing so rapidly that in some states divorces actually outnumber marriages each year, in a country where the um, father is often, often absent uh, due to desertion or uh, career, in a country of TV or computer or video game babysitters, in a country where couples are choosing to live together in uh, alarmingly, increasingly um, higher rates, in a country where marriage has been actually redefined or altogether dismissed, in a country where family values are, are being attacked by social and, and actually immoral agendas, I say to you this morning that the family is still good and right before God. It, it, it is, after all, His idea. Being part of a family, having children, or, or being parents is still a good thing, even, even as we go through uh, seasons of life that bring challenges and family relationships. Those relationships are still good. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. What better day than today, Mother's Day? Yes, an arbitrarily assigned day, but Mother's Day set aside to celebrate our mothers, rightfully so, uh, to, to say thank you for sacrifices made and roles that they have played in our lives. Mother's Day, Father's Day are, are, are really times to celebrate family. So, so in that way, today is for all of us. Whether you are a mother or, or not, the, the fact is you've all had one. It, it reminds me of a poster I saw once that said, Having children is hereditary. If your parents didn't have any, chances are you won't either. <laughs> Let you think about that. <laughs> with all of that in mind, I want to take a break from Hebrews uh, and share with you a story with which you are likely familiar found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, but I hope to draw some, some principles from, from Hannah's life that will encourage and perhaps challenge you as mothers and as parents. If you're not a parent this morning, that's okay. It's good for you to know what is expected um, of your parents. And if your children are already grown or you find yourself without children, that's okay. Perhaps you'll be able to use some of these thoughts to encourage um, others. As we begin, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Allow me to uh, set the background uh, of this particular book as we begin. It's a rather dismal time in, in Israel's history. We are actually still in the period that is known as the Judges, an almost 400-year span describing, described for us in the book of Judges. This period... Um, is depicted as a time when there was no king in Israel and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Does that sound familiar? A time of spiritual apostasy. When we are told repeatedly the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, where they were forsaking him to serve other gods. Their sin was atrocious, described for us in the last five chapters of the book. It sunk to the depths of rape and kidnapping and murder and even tribal genocide. It was an absolutely awful time. Just when it seemed that the nation would cave in on its own rottenness, again, does this sound familiar? God intervened, and He, he offered hope through the prayers 
of a would-be mother and her child yet to be born, a child by the name of Samuel. Samuel was undoubtedly one of the greatest heroes of Israel's history, in part, I would suggest, because of the faithfulness of his mother. In fact, I, I read a really good book this week by author Tim Challies entitled um, Devoted, uh, Great Men and Their Godly Moms. It's, it's, it's a great book. It tells the story of, of many Hannahs and Samuels right through to the present day. Men who had and have great mothers. In fact, the, the book begins with these words. You may have heard the phrase um, before, behind every great man, there's a great woman. But here's the surprise. Sometimes the great woman is not behind the man, but before him. Sometimes that great woman is not his wife, but his mother. And it, it tell, tells the story of men, of men like Spurgeon and, 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 and even Piper and Augustine and, and uh, Timothy and, and others. I in, if I would been thinking ahead, I would have ordered several copies. I was not thinking ahead. However, I did look, and you can get that on Kindle or your electronic device for, for $5 off of Amazon. I encourage you. It will encourage you um, as mothers. Great men who were preceded by great women. Such was the case with Hannah and Samuel. God will use Samuel to bring about some degree of spiritual revival um, in the land. He will anoint the first two kings of Israel, the second of which was, is, is none other than King David. He will be used greatly by God, in part because of a faithful mother, which perhaps challenges us. I mean, do we want our sons, our daughters, to be used greatly by God? Uh, ultimately, they are in God's hand, but He has ordained the means as well as the ends. And He uses godly parents like Hannah to produce the next generation, the next generation that will impact this world for Christ. So what we want. Is that who we want to be? So let's look at this, this story of the birth of Samuel to see what we, principles we can learn today. The outline of the text will go like this, nicely alliterated for you. Hannah's barrenness, Hannah's bargain, and Hannah's blessing. Let's look at the first um, eight verses um, to see Hannah's barrenness together. Now, there was a certain man from Ramoth. Pham Zophim from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other was Penina, and Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts in Shiloh, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would do a couple of things. He would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters, apparently a whole brood of them. But, but to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the, the Lord had closed her womb. It, it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she, that is Penina, would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Great words. Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? 
stupid man. <laughs> we are told that there was a certain man named Elkanah, an, a, an Ephraimite, who had two wives, one called named Hannah, the other called Penina. Now, you have to understand that it was very important to a Hebrew man that his posterity, his name, be preserved through a male heir. So it's likely Elkanah took his second wife, Penina, after his first wife, Hannah, proved to be barren. Now, at the outset, let me say on this Mother's Day that neither I nor the Scripture are advocating polygamy, that is, having more than one wife. It was n neither, never God's plan, nor is it, it's just not smart. When God created man, he created them male and, and female, one man, one woman in ancient cultures, including Israel, for economic reasons, um, polygamy was thought to be necessary, however ungodly it was. You see, in Genesis chapter 2, we read, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, not his father and mothers, and be joined to his wife, not wives, and they, that is the two, not three, shall become one flesh. More than one wife always caused problems in the Scripture, as we will see with this trio. I know this does not have much to do with Mother's Day. just want to make sure that you are, in fact, the only mother in your family. Read this Elkanah, despite his marital indiscretion, went up year after year to offer sacrifices to the Lord at Shiloh. You see, the Israelite men were required to appear before um, God at the tabernacle at least three times a year to celebrate three feasts, that is, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of Ingathering. He had to at least go those three times. Remember, however, that we are in the midst of national idolatry. All over the place, people were forsaking God and serving the gods of the Canaanites, the Baals, the Ashtaroths. It was an awful time. But here we see Elkanah faithfully worship the true God, which is encouraging to know that though the nation had forsaken God, he had preserved a remnant of worshipers. And from this one faithful couple would come a little boy who would change the course of the whole nation. Indeed, I would suggest even to the present day. This is important for us to hear because today we too live in a country where like the period of the judges, everyone is forsaking God. It's the thing to do and doing that which is right in their own eyes. But we can also trust that God will preserve a remnant of believers. And we, as faithful believers, must be careful to pass on the truth of the Christian faith to, to, to the next generations of Samuels. Who, who knows what God may choose to do through them? Well... We're also told that whenever the day came for sacrifice, Elkanah would do a couple of things. Kind of interesting. First, he would give portions of meat to his wife Penina as well as her children. So you've been wondering all week, what should I get? What special thing should I get for my wife? And so, ladies, if your husband decides to give you a steak today and one for himself, it's only biblical. While that may not sound special, you need to understand this was an agricultural society, so a gift of meat was indeed a special thing. But second, he would give, this is funny, a double portion to Hannah. This is not quite significant. It does not mean that Hannah was a hefty woman and needed extra provisions. 
We're told that he did this because he loved her. It would be like giving a, a, a dozen roses to one wife on Mother's Day and two dozen to the other. Don't do that. <laughs> Sends a strong message, and it caused problems. Hannah and Penina became rivals. Penina would provoke Hannah, make fun of her because of her barrenness, just to irritate her. The word literally means to thunder against. You can imagine the taunts as she thundered against Hannah. No doubt something like, the problem isn't Elkanah. He's given me children. The problem must be you. What kind of woman are you that you cannot have children? Perhaps even reminding her of Deuteronomy 7, which says fruitfulness was a result of the Lord's blessing. Maybe she said, you're not blessed of God. You are actually cursed of God. At any rate, we're told this taunting went on year after year. Can you imagine? And some of you can, having faced personal barrenness. I don't acknowledge that. I know Mother's Day is hard for some of you for, for that reason. And I want to be gentle with you. Why exactly was Hannah barren? Because the Lord had closed her womb. Did you notice that in verse 5? God prevented her from having children. Now, I don't think we could take this narrative, this passage, and say that every time a woman is childless, it's because the Lord has actively caused the barrenness. He's actively closed the womb. And yet, there do seem to be those times in Scripture when God prevents women from having children for one reason or another known only to Him. No. Struggled with it year after year. Perhaps like some of you. Does this mean God is not a good God? Quite the contrary. He knows the end from the beginning. And, and we can trust that He works all things all together for our good. Is it possible, I'm just suggesting, that... In, in every situation of barrenness, maybe even your own, that he knows what's best. What was the purpose here? We see after, we see that after Hannah makes a vow to give her child to the Lord, after she says, I will dedicate him to the service that he opens her womb. You see, God wanted the, the, the child and this child will grow to be one of Israel's greatest leaders. There was a purpose, you see. So whether you have been prevented from having a first child or perhaps further children, whether God has actively done it or not, I'm going to suggest that we can trust that He is sovereignly in control and always has your best in mind. Last, we see that whenever Haran would, uh, Hannah would go up to the house of the Lord to plead with the Lord about her barrenness, her rival would provoke her even more till Hannah would weep and would not eat. What was Elkanah's response to that? Brilliant man that he was. Hannah, why are you weeping? When do you eat? Why are you so downhearted? What's wrong with you? What's with the tears? Don't I mean more to you than ten Sons, Typical male response, I would suggest, husbands, that there are times that our wives are not looking for explanations. They, they are, they, they, sometimes there are no explanations. They don't need us to come along and say, 
Everything's fine. We've got this figured out. If we'll just follow my plan. Why are you crying? Sometimes they just need us to be present. Peter admonishes us to live with our wives in kind and understanding ways. Because, you see, there are times when you are not going to be able to do anything about the problem. Fix it, men, that you are. You, don't you love Elkanah's last question? Do not, I mean more to you than ten sons. This guy obviously thought highly of himself. I would, however, suggest that you not put that question to your wife. Okay, Tana, it's me or the children. Don't do that. Hannah did answer the question, which brings us to our next point, Hannah's bargain, verses 9 to 18. Look at it with me. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. <laughs> Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, I will give your maidservant, but, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth, for, Anna, for Hannah was Speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, so Eli thought she was drunk. Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I'm not a woman oppressed in, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now, out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. So she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. What was, what was Han, Hannah's answer? Am I not better? Elkanah, ten sons. Elkanah, Ten sons. She took one look at Elkanah and in bitterness of soul said, God, please just give me one son. She's greatly distressed, recognizing her husband could not help her. She could not help herself. She went to the only one who could help. Longed for a child. Why? Why, why did she long for a child? I mean, think about it. Her husband loved her more than he loved the other one. He, was it for economic reasons? He provided for her double the other one. Was it so that she could be avenged of her rival Penina? Well, maybe, yeah, if you read her song in chapter 2. But, but is that it? Is this why she wanted a child? I don't think this is it. I think it is because even though childless, she recognized the, listen carefully, she recognized the honor, the, 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 the value, indeed the need of the maternal role. It's called maternal instinct. She had the heart of a mother. I think such a heart is largely lost. I would dare even say suppressed today. Our society has effectively diminished the role of a mother, turning it into an undesirable yet necessary function. I mean, 
You can be a mom, but gosh, don't let it get in your way. After all, there are much more important things to life. Say, for example, as some of you no doubt have said, that you are a stay-at-home mom and you get the arched eyebrows and you immediately become a second-class woman. I want to say to you that you are not. We speak of Mr. Mom, right? Like it's an equality issue. I want to say to you that it is not. A man cannot fulfill the role of a mother, not because the position is too low for him, but it is, in fact, too high. It is a role divinely designed for moms, which makes it a worthy one. Men need not apply. You do not have the qualifications. Want some examples? Want some proof? Go with me to the grocery store. How is it, please, that men, you know, the stronger sex, can carry a child for about five minutes and then they're about to die? A mom can carry that same child around all day. Why? No pain? No, she's a mom, oblivious to the pain. Who is it that hears the cry of a child in the middle of the night? When you're with a group of friends, several children playing and one starts crying, who recognizes the cry? Who knows whether it's a cry of joy, of pain, of anger, or make-believe? I've said this before, a mother knows their children like no other. She knows the child's dreams and aspirations and everything there is to know about the child inside and out. The father is vaguely aware of the fact that there are short people running around the house. Moms have even enough parental heart for both parents. What do I mean by that? Let me just share a personal story. Once when our boys, our boys were very, very little, after a particularly busy week here at church, I had not seen my family. Friday was coming. We decided that we would spend the evening together. But a friend stopped by my office on Friday afternoon and said he had gotten some free tickets to a baseball game, and he actually offered to take the boys. I'm thinking, yeah. I thought... They would love that. Looking forward to seeing them, but I thought they'd really enjoy the baseball game. So I suggested, hey, yeah, that's great. Why don't you call Tana and make the arrangements? When he called, she said, uh, no, the boys have not seen their father all week. They'll be at home with him. Now, while I don't think a woman's self-worth and value should be determined by her ability to have children, I do think, listen carefully, I do, I do think there is not a more honorable, more important, more worthwhile position for a woman than that of mother. Listen carefully. In 21 years, you have never, ever heard me say that a woman's place is in the home. I've never said that. I never will. I will, however, say that a woman's priority is in the home. I think Hannah recognized this. She wanted to be a mom. Today, when a woman gets pregnant, she has the legal opportunity to decide if she even wants to be one. Because among other things, we have devalued the role. We've not held it in the high esteem that it deserves. I'm sorry, moms. I am sorry. But you are in the highest of roles. See, she made a bargain with God. Actually, it was a vow, but I need another bee to fit my outline. She made a vow to the Lord that if he would give her a child, she would do two things. First, she would give him back to the Lord for all the days of his life. 
As we see the fulfillment of the vow, we see that that means that he would be given to tabernacle service from childhood. Second, she takes the Nazarite vow for him. Notice no razor would touch his head. There's more to a Nazarite vow, like you wouldn't take any product of the fruit of the vine, of the grape, or or you wouldn't touch a body. But, But what is important to note is the vow is usually taken by the person to set aside himself for a period of time um, for a special purpose. What Hannah said was this, if you give me a son, he will be yours set apart for your service his entire life. She took the vow for him. Now think about that. How is fulfilling that vow, giving the child to the tabernacle, how does this meet the mother's heart? Having a child only to give him away. We'll answer that in a moment in our conclusion. You know the rest of the second point. As Hannah prayed, Eli saw her and accused her of being drunk. She explained she was not. She was deeply troubled. She was praying in great anguish and grief. Eli told her to go in peace with a benediction that God would grant her request, that this had come from the high priest. And so Hannah went home hopeful, no longer depressed, even ate some of the meat. It brings us to our last point, Hannah's blessing, verses 19 to the end of the chapter. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice, pay his vow. But Hannah did not go. For she said to her husband, I will not go up until the day the child is weaned, probably about three years of age. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Dude. However, her husband said to her, do whatever seems best to you. Elkanah was wising up. Do whatever seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah flower, a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he that is Samuel worshiped the Lord there. After returning home, the text says that the Lord remembered Hannah. It was not as though he had forgotten who she was. It means that he answered her prayer. She conceived, gave birth to a son, naming him Samuel, which means um, heard of God or asked of God. I prayed, you heard, you answered. I'm going to name him something that reminds me all of my life, that you heard me. What's she going to do, though? The son for whom she had longed and prayed finally arrived. I mean, think about it. She did the same thing that every mother does. She felt him grow and kick and squirm as she carried him around in her own body for nine months. She felt both the agonizing pain and the incomparable joy in giving birth. She examined every inch of his red, smooth skin at birth, found him perfect. She held him in her arms as an infant, nursing and and, and cuddling him for, again, three years, perhaps a little longer. She she had wanted... um, uh, she had watched him grow, learned to hold, uh, watched him uh, learn to hold his head up, roll over, crawl. Eventually, why they didn't have iPhones, you see, to take pictures of all of that, but they were there. 
Her rival Penina could no longer make fun of her. And yet with each passing day that he grew beyond infancy, she knew she had a decision to make. She had made a vow to the Lord. She had promised to give the boy to the Lord for tabernacle service all the days of his life. Would she fulfill it? What would you do? What will you do? For the first two or three years, maybe more, the family would go to Shiloh for annual sacrifices. Hannah would stay at home with uh, Samuel. Perhaps she could not go knowing that one day she, she would go and have to leave her son there. No, no doubt her family, as her family was gone on those trips, these were special days for her and Samuel. Everyone's gone. It was just the two of them alone. But the day came when he was weaned. What what would she do? Hannah recognized she had a responsibility to fulfill her vow. She took the little toddler, toddler, and left him at the tabernacle. Could you do that? With such a strong heart to be a mother, how could she leave him? Because she knew in her heart a child left in the hands of God was the best place he could be. book that I recommended that you read talked about these mothers from the time their children were little, little ch- toddlers, had them at their knee, reading the Scripture to them, praying with and for them, catechizing them, that is, teaching them the orthodox truths of the Christian faith so that they could answer She was willing to make whatever sacrifice necessary to be obedient to God. And ultimately, she realized that children come from the Lord. They belong to the Lord. Notice as a result of her obedience, the last sentence of the the chapter says, he worshiped the Lord there. Do not miss that her obedience led to his worship. You want to be a good mom? Be a good dad? You want your children to grow up, be used greatly by God? It starts with your obedience, your willingness to give your children back to the God who owns them anyway. How do we, in closing, how do we flesh this out? There are not many calls today to leave your children at the church. In in fact, to be clear, (laughs) we do not want you to leave your toddlers here. So what does this giving your children to God look like? Perhaps a little bit like what we did this morning. It is recognizing that they are a gift from Him and that they belong to Him and we are but mere stewards. And like every stewardship, we have a responsibility to handle the trust entrusted to us in the way that the owner demands. to rear them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I would suggest that is much easier said than done. Think about it in Samuel's case. It was not easy for him or his parents on that particular day, mom and dad make the trip to Shiloh and leave him there. Three, 
four, maybe five years of age, to be a servant. It was not like Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas babied him. They expected him to serve. You leave those toddlers here, we're going to make them scrub the floors. How much easier would it have been for him to grow up at home, hang out with mom, become a farmer like his dad? This was a difficult life. Not unlike the life of being a Christian, you see. The same is true for us and our children. Teaching them the ways of God is not easy. It is a whole lot easier to forget their discipline. <laughs> Go to the grocery store. And ignore their spiritual training. The right way is not the easiest way, but it is the best way. We are to rear them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We are to impress upon them, according to Deuteronomy 6, as Seth mentioned, the Word of God, when we lie down, when we rise up, when we walk along the way. And, and finally, to allow God to do with them as He wants to do. Not in my notes, I'll just share this with you. Um, some, many of you know we have six children and uh, twin daughters and uh, one of them works for uh, Samaritan's Purse, Edward Densham. Thank you, Edward. She just signed a year-long contract to go to Dominica to serve in disaster re relief after the hurricane came through. She's leaving June 1st. I am deeply saddened and very proud. Very proud of her, although I'm a little irritated she didn't ask my permission. <laughs> Edward. To allow God to do with them what he wants them to do. Heart of a mother, the heart of a father, is one who says, these children are yours. Do with them what you want. Stand for prayer. Father, I, I want this to be an, an encouragement, a, a reminder that our children belong ultimately to you. We want to see them grow up to be Samuels and Davids and all the, the men that I read about in this book, devoted great men and their great moms, great men, great women of God used by you to... to to build your church, to spread the gospel, to become fully devoted followers. Begins with great moms and great dads. So help us to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name.